1: Hey, listeners, welcome to another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast, where we bring you your ABCs, your adventure books and conversations from 11,000 feet here in the beautiful Eastern Sierra. I'm Christopher. I'm Stacy. And with us, as always, and today remotely, is our producer, Doug. Hey, Doug. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Doug. How are things up? We're doing great. How are things up where you are? Boring. (laughs) well we will do everything possible to change that for you i'm waiting i'm waiting (laughs) yes i think that's a dare stace
2: i think so well hopefully (laughs) hopefully our conversation today will give you and maybe our listeners some things to occupy yourself
1: (laughs) or Stave stave
2: off that boredom
1: exactly and once again we are um at home staying home with the rest of the state of california so we are zooming today um, from yes. different parts of the eastern sierra all together
2: my closet
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you have one of those zoom backgrounds that everyone has now so it looks mm-hmm. like you're in the bahamas scuba diving i
2: this is actually i am actually using the finding nemo background from <laughs> the pixar movie
1: no wonder you blend in so well
2: Yes. So <laughs> um yeah, I finally had time to do a little exploring of zoom backgrounds and I found these Pixar backgrounds. So this was one of the ones that I downloaded and it's funny that that's kind of what, you know, and that was my reward, right? <laughs> Going and exploring and finding zoom new zoom background was my reward for getting all my work done. I it's, This is what we've come to, Christopher, you know, we're just.
1: Look, everyone has their own kind of adventures. You know, Zoom backgrounds is one of them. And if you're like, we are both the same. We both spend a lot of our work week in Zoom meetings. mm -hmm. And it's nice to see the little backgrounds. It kind of keeps you entertained. It
2: it does. Wondering what's going to come up. (laughs) <laughs> and I've seen some. I've seen some great ones. Producer Doug had the Simpsons couch as yeah. a background last week. I loved that. I thought that That's was hilarious.
1: So uh, we did some. We 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 did some virtual adventuring for this mm-hmm. episode, right? Yes. We agreed that uh, listeners. We we agreed that, like most of America, we're binging and watching all sorts of streaming series and movies and TV episodes and everything, and it, you know having that kind of virtual water cooler talk about what you've seen <laughs> and um we will both acknowledge that we watched tiger king like most of america stacy's making a face
2: <laughs> did not I I didn't see the the charm
1: <laughs> <laughs> you were looking for charm I guess that's that's where you came from. Yeah um, I,
2: yeah couldn't do I, it. Yeah,
1: we watched the whole thing. It was kind of a long, long car wreck, and I really don't want to revisit it. So we're not going to talk about no. Tiger King. No. But we did both watch something that we both loved because we actually started off the podcast many, many, over yes. 20 episodes ago. I know.
2: Can you believe it?
1: With a conversation about Michelle Obama's memoir, Becoming. Mm-hmm. And she has that new... Um, Documentary on Netflix. Yes. That's basically, I think, her book tour on that, largely with other activities listed in. And, you know, we both watched it, I think the same evening and had mm-hmm. similar reactions. What, what was your reaction to it? what do you think of it?
2: Well, just like with the book, I cried a lot. There were a lot <laughs> of parts that made me cry and listeners, you know, I cry a lot when I read and, and when I'm moved by things. And, um, I just, I just loved it. it just reinforced for me what an inspirational figure she is and, how somebody from humble beginnings, you know, who, who through the, you know, the love and the respect and the way that her parents brought her up to work hard and to always be your best, you know, found herself in a situation that she would have never dreamed of as a child, you know, being first lady. And she, instead of shying away from that opportunity or, you know, not, she embraced it and she made the most of it. And, you know, she, she just became a force and she still is. And I think our young girls today are so lucky to have a role model like her. Right. And yeah. Yeah.
1: What I I liked about it was all of that. Um, plus she is just so genuine,
3: you -hmm. know,
1: it's definitely her that comes off. They showed different interviews of her on the, the book tour itself. She's always yeah. in front of a very large audience. Sometimes mm-hmm. it looks like a stadium audience.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and, you know, her answering similar questions in, in different cities along the way, but all of her answers come off as very genuine. And I also liked that the that the documentary really focused on her, not her husband. Right. Um, And it also focused on a a number of the people around her or the people who um, react to her. So her mother is -hmm. is a big part of the documentary, her brother, whom she talks about. Um, And then the people who come up to speak to her at book signings or the teenagers that she works with, um, the young women that she works with in Mm -hmm. inspirational groups. Um, they come from all different backgrounds, all different races, all different ages. And, and I think they really react to that genuineness in that she found her own voice aside from mm-hmm. her husband. Yeah. Right? Yep. Absolutely. So it, it um, was great. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was really it's worth the time.
2: Yeah. And even if you didn't read the book. Oh yeah. It's you know, it gives you if you're interested in all in Michelle Obama, it gives you a, a great insight into her persona and her ethos and right, you know, who she is as a person. It's it yeah, it was really, really
1: good. So that's, that's one great. of the things that we've been yes, we've been watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll mm-hmm. mention one other that I I watched. I know you have something you want to mention yeah. too. So one show that I binged Pretty early on, it's actually a British show. So, I think I mentioned in a previous podcast, I'm a big fan of James Harriet's All Creatures Great and Small series. I read all the books as a kid. I used to watch the PBS TV series (laughs) in the 70s or something. I know there's been other iterations since then. You know, he was a real vet working in Yorkshire, England in the 30s through like the 60s or something like that. And, um, his veterinary practice is still there. And in fact, it's only been run by one of the guys that he trained. And so this is a show called Yorkshire vet. Um, and it's a British show and it's a reality show about that veterinary process practice, which is still very much like what you read about in those books. If you've read James Harriet's original mm-hmm. stories, which is really easy reading similar to that. The show is very family friendly. You know, there's everything from hamsters and puppies to cows and sheep and llamas, a lot of llamas in England now, which is <laughs> curious. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of approachable. You can watch an episode, you know, with your kids and talk about what's happening. The episodes tend to be very, um, mixture of lighthearted, and there's some serious stuff. um, But they always end on a hopeful note. And it's always very truthful. And he, he, one of the owners of the veterinary practice today is this man named Julian. And and this, the older guy is named Peter. He was the one who's been trained by James Harriet, And he's kind of like a, not a curmudgeon, but you know, you can tell he's Mm -hmm. the older, you know, he's been around (laughs) And they kind of have a competitive little, little banter between them. And then all the other staff that they have there. Julian is younger. I think his wife is a vet. And they have um uh kids who are probably like middle school, becoming mm-hmm. teenage age. And he often will bring a kid with him on a on a veterinary call, just as kind of like experience and which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah. Um yeah, so and, and it's got it's moments of like uh, a little bit of tear jerky, but you know, a lot of laughter and stuff like that. So I watched it on Acorn TV, which is a kind of a British streaming platform, but I think you can find it on numerous like Amazon prime and probably Mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. But if you just Google Yorkshire vet, um, that TV series will come up. And I think there's like four series available in the U S at the moment. So that was fun. I just enjoyed it. It's just, it was always a guaranteed uplifting hour to watch that.
2: And something to take, is so different takes you out of your day-to-day Zooming life
1: that right. we're living right now. Totally. And stuff, you know, me not as an animal. You know, we have a lot of pets, but I didn't grow up on a ranch or a farm. Mm-hmm. And you know, we drive by ranches in the Eastern Sierra all yeah. the time. you surprised what happens that you have to deal with <laughs> and cows and sheep and all this stuff. So, yeah, it was, it was really fun. And I think um, a lot of people would enjoy it.
2: Cool. Well, I'll, I will check it out for sure. Um, my my experience is somewhat different with all of this TV stuff, because as I overheard my husband and my daughter having a conversation just the other night saying, well, you know, mom, she's the one that says mom being me. She's the one that always says, oh, let's watch this. This is a new series. And then she watches one episode and never <laughs> finishes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: sounds familiar
2: and they end up watching everything so I just don't have the patience you know for spending a lot of time watching tv especially if I'm not doing something else while I'm watching it but the one so I've been watching a lot of top chef because I like I love cooking so and it's something I can watch like for 10 minutes and then when I get bored shut it off and you know I can kind of back and forth to it. Um, And it's, I like to watch people cooking. So that's, I've been watching that from time to time. Only series beside that I have finished is um, a news. It's a limited series on, um, I think it's Netflix called Hollywood. And it was written and produced by Ryan Murphy, who's the creator of Glee. And, it was only like six or seven episodes, and I kind of watched it over time. You know, I didn't like sit down and watch them all. Like, but <laughs> you just um,
1: at nine p.m. I,
2: I I could. I don't think I could. As much as I like the idea of that, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't. I good for you. I can't do it. But um, you know, so this is this is a series that is probably not suitable for young children definitely not suitable for young children questionable for young teenagers but it is it's based in fact and it's about hollywood back in the 40s you know the the gold kind of the what they call the golden age of hollywood and it kind of blends fact with fantasy so um it is about it is actually centered around this gas station that actually existed that was a a front for prostitution and um the the people who you know the people who went and worked there were um the men who worked there were um essentially peddled out <laughs> to whoever chose to (laughs) have them pedal. Um, so, and, and then how these people's career took shape and, um, the, the fact that, you know, at the time, um, you know, that people who were gay or African American or all of these minority people couldn't be successful. You know, they, they were kind of looked at as second class citizens. And so this, this show, this series, I guess, kind of turned that on its head and said, well, what if it wasn't like that? You know, what if, what if people really took those chances and said, this is who I am and gave people that opportunity, which is a really beautiful thing. Right. Um, right. To imagine. And um, the, the co- I think what drew me in really was the costumes and the sets and the the way people dressed and spoke and carried themselves at that time was really quite something. And it was beautiful to watch. Um, so Those it was it. Again. Yes, it was really, it was really interesting. And there are some, you know, it really blended real life characters and told stories about Hollywood that you didn't know, you know, like, um, Hattie McDaniel, who was Mammy in Gone with the Wind. She shows up in this and, um, you know, shares about how when she went to the Oscars, because she was nominated for that role of Mammy in Gone with the Wind, they wouldn't, they weren't going to let her into the theater. Hmm. Because she was black. And right. they were like, no, you, you're not allowed in. She's like, I'm nominated for an Oscar.
1: And that really happened? And that really happened. Yeah, that's crazy.
2: Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was interesting and, like i said i it wouldn't have been something that i could have watched straight through right. but um you know certainly it was thought provoking and um yeah cool. it, it was it was different it was really really different so cool i liked it
1: so that is hollywood
2: that's hollywood and it was on netflix on netflix awesome. yes all right and, cool yeah so those are some of the things and now i don't have anything to I'm back to 10 minutes of Top Chef at a time. (laughs) Because there's like a million episodes of that.
1: (laughs) Well, why don't you stick around for a couple minutes and we'll talk about some books and maybe you'll get some book ideas.
2: Sounds good to me.
1: (laughs) Okay, listeners, you stick around too. We'll be right back.
2: A social distancing tip.
0: While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov.
2: Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back listeners we have arrived at the B book section of our episode today and yeah we always love this part we do we hope you do do. (laughs) we hope you do too and today we're we're just talking about books that we're reading right now and I think we're both doing a lot of reading yeah we are Given our circumstances
1: you know I think it's Um, interesting um we may have chatted about this before that, you know, during the, it's, it's been almost at the time this comes out about 10 weeks now mm-hmm, and, yep. and there are phases where it's kind of hard to concentrate on reading a full book and then phases where you just kind of like dive in. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And that,
2: that takes me down a path, like of serial like books, <laughs> you know, like I yeah. can't stop. And it's, that's what I would love to be spending all my time doing, but right can't.
1: Right. Um, exactly.
2: So Christopher, what are you reading right now?
1: So the book I am still finishing, but it's good, so I'm gonna talk about (laughs) it, nearly finished. It's called West of Eden, An American Place by Jean Stein. It came out a couple years ago in uh, 2016. Some people may recognize Jean Stein. She was a pretty well-known author and individual. She wrote a book a, f- a couple decades ago about Edie Sedgwick of Andy Warhol mm-hmm. fame. She uh, started her career back in, I think, the 40s or the 50s, and one of her earliest roles was helping Ilya Kazan on the original mm-hmm. play Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. So she went uh, back a ways. Part yeah. of the reason she was part of all that is she is the daughter of Jules Stein, who founded one of the biggest talent agencies in Hollywood called MCA. So, um, you know, that's who she is. She, she died a couple years ago. She actually committed suicide at the age of 83. I think she struggled with depression. Mm. Um, but this book came out the year before that. Okay. And what it is is it chronicles the history of Hollywood and Los Angeles and that whole milieu um, through five influential families or characters that influenced Southern California in a meaningful way. And each, each segment is character is made up of oral histories. So she interviewed a ton of people, some famous like Gore Vidal or Lauren Bacall or people who were there and some not so famous. Some were just family members or former staff or just people who were around at the time. And, It's almost like reading a Studs Terkel book in a way. It's like there's (laughs) multiple narratives that just kind of interweave each other. So it's almost like you're in a room listening to these people talk about this character or this family and the influence that they had. And so the five that she focuses on are ones that um, are a little bit well-known and not well-known, at least to me. So the first one she starts with is Edward Doheny. And the oil boom. Uh, many people will recognize that last name mm-hmm. as a, a prominent street in the Los Angeles area. Um, but Edward Rohaney, Doheny was a ruthless oil man with a massive oil fortune in the early twentieth century, um, late eight, late nineteen hundred late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, and that really in his way, puts him above the law, especially mm-hmm. in Southern California at that time, which wasn't yet the sprawling place that right. it is today. And in fact, he he was so notorious, he is the basis for the character played by Daniel Day-Lewis in the movie There Will Be Blood, if any of oh. our listeners saw that. Yeah, it was a pretty ruthless character. Yeah. Very good movie. Um, so that was an interesting... Um, segment of the book she also talks about jack warner and the warner brothers studio Mm -hmm. um there really were brothers um five of them i believe um who ran that who created and ran that studio and jack warner was the one who was probably again the most ruthless in that he kind of squeezed others of his brothers out Mm -hmm. to um take control of it and had, of course, was a hugely influential person in Hollywood and in Southern California, right? You, you Mm -hmm. make or break careers. And what she does with his section is she takes his story all the way through the fifties and sixties when there was the red scare and, you know, suddenly Jack Warner, who was, you know, seen as one of the most progressive movie studios at the time, really handling serious issue type movies was one of the first studio heads to give in to the McCarthyism mm-hmm. and blacklisting and name names and all that kind of stuff. So he doesn't come off with a really good, good kind mm-hmm. of story at the end. But he is a, the way she writes him is a very, very vibrant and compelling character. The third person that she focuses on is this actress named Jennifer Jones, who I think won an Oscar when she was very, very young for a movie called song of Bernadette. I remember her in the seventies, there was a movie called towering inferno. which <laughs> some of Our people may remember. She was the lady who fell out of the glass elevator. To her death. Um, <laughs> but she was a very interesting character. You know, she wasn't really a great actress. She was beautiful, but not like a, like a Greta Garbo kind of beautiful, but she was crafted into that and adopted that persona her her entire life. She was married to David Selznick, who produced Gone with the Wind, um, and then Norton Simon of the Norton Simon Museum fame in Pasadena. So um, she was kind of a local influential character as well. So that's a great Great story. The two that I wasn't as familiar with the fourth person is this woman, Jane Garland, who was this young, mentally unbalanced, but incredibly beautiful heiress living in Malibu with her mother and just all the stuff her mother tried to do to treat her to make her well. Um, and it was really kind of twisted. But, you know, <laughs> they were, you know, there was a lot of money there and, you know, they had a lot of. Influential friends and a lot of parties and what have you. And we're part of that Malibu scene back in the mm-hmm. 60s, I think early 70s. And then the last family that she focuses on is her own family. So she talks about mm-hmm. Jules Stein and founding the MCA talent agency. Um, and some of the stuff that he helped Ronald Reagan move from movie acting into politics. So he was a player as well. That's the part I'm still in. So I, I'm not okay. going to talk much about that, but I will just recommend the book. If you know, one of these people go, Warner, Warner, um, Jennifer Jones, Garland or Stein appeal to you, you can just read that section um, and mm-hmm. not read necessarily the other sections, but I just like that she kind of steps through how influential people um, influenced the kind of persona, if you will, of Southern California at that time, and that we still live with the remnants of today. So that yeah. book is West of Eden by Gene Stein, S-T-E-I-N, and we'll put a link on our show page.
2: Well, I definitely want to read that, especially in our last segment, I talked about watching that show Hollywood, which is a different era of Hollywood, I think, than some of this these character these families right. are described. But It sounds fascinating to me in having lived here for so long (laughs) and having lived in Santa Monica. And, you know, it's amazing to me how the Hollywood industry affects everything Everything, in that L.A., Santa Monica, Southern California area. It really (sighs) does.
1: And I think you would, you would really appreciate the Warner and Jennifer Jones chapters, Jack Warner, his second wife, um, was famous for, they had a huge mansion, you know, in Beverly Hills somewhere, Mm -hmm. um, with a complete golf course behind that. He wouldn't let anyone play on (laughs) and a massive pool and all this stuff. And they used to host, host massive parties and his wife would stay upstairs. Like, I guess for the last 20 years of her life, she was basically, she lived on the second floor of this house and would only rarely come down. So it's just fascinating. It's just, it's utterly. I think you would enjoy it a lot.
2: Yeah. I I definitely want to check it out. I want to borrow it when you're done.
1: (laughs) What did you read, Stace?
2: (laughs) So I just finished, and this was from my book club, um, Mm -hmm. was a book that they were reading and it's called The Giver of Stars. It's by Jojo Moyes. Mm-hmm. And many of you will know her because she well she's written a number of books of very right. vast she's a very prolific writer Right. but she's probably best known for me before you right. uh which was a bestseller which I've never read but it was a bestseller and turned into a very a successful movie and mm-hmm. has had sequels and and all that but This book was so good. I highly recommend it. I wouldn't call it historical fiction, but it is the context of it is set around the, the WPA act that started in 1935 by the Roosevelt's um, to help put people back to work after the depression. And one of the, the WPA was a workforce program and took all different kinds of aspects. And one of them was the rural horseback librarian program. I love and that. so, yeah, I knew you would. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what this was is that um, the government would help set up these rural like lib- libraries, but they were just outposts and the people would, the librarians would travel on horseback delivering books to the, the homesteaders and the farmers. And, and this took place all the way from, you know, down and around the Appalachian trail through the rural, um, middle America. And this book, the giver of stars takes place in, in Kentucky. Mm. And the interesting thing about the rural li- horseback librarians is that most of them were women. Yeah. And so that is the background for The Giver of Stars and it tell that's kind of where the historical part ends because all the characters are fiction. Right. And nobody is nobody else is real beyond uh the context for the book. So, um it tells the story of these five women who come together and start delivering the books throughout the town. And, you know, not only the reactions of the townspeople and the farmers and, you know, some of them are very, you know, really are drawn into this and it becomes something that they, you know, they can't wait for the new books to come. And, and yet there were others that were like, first of all, women shouldn't be doing anything. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Women shouldn't be even reading Mm-hmm. And um, they definitely shouldn't be on horseback running around unchaperoned, and you know right. all of that. So, you know, there was that aspect of the story, and then kind of you know what what happens to some of the women. It, you know, there's a little bit of a a love story. There's a little bit of a twisted section. You know, of one of the women has moved from England to Kentucky to marry one of the wealthy sons of one of the t- like the town elders and that's a really twisted little situation there mm-hmm. and um but it's you know you you i just i enjoyed the characters and the the way she writes is provides enough detail and description but not too much um, she really gets into the voice of her characters well. And we all really everybody in the book club liked the book. <laughs> um, enough. not just me. <laughs> so, um, and I guess I don't know if it's gonna be made into a movie or not. I thought think I saw something on the web about that, but it was really it was it was a fairly quick read. I think I read it in four days. Yeah. Because I just it was enjoying it was so enjoyable.
1: She is an enjoyable author to read. She's very yes. interesting. Yeah. And that is a unique, that's a really unique situation, that whole thing that happened Horseback yeah, Librarians. I had,
2: yeah, I had no idea that that, until, you know, until I read this, I, I didn't know that that, I mean, of course, I'd heard about the WPA, but I didn't know that Horseback Librarians was part of it. And, yeah. you know, it's funny because now as we're starting to think about opening up, Mm-hmm. and curbside pickup mm-hmm. for books and mm-hmm. it's a little, you know, we're kind of going back to that. We'll, we'll, we can bring the books to you,
1: you know, <laughs> kind of a thing within reason. If anyone out there has a horse yeah. and a pack or a mule train that they're not using this summer, maybe we can, work yeah, we can out. work
2: something out. Yeah, <laughs> for sure.
1: <gasps> well, so that one's great. That's called the giver of stars. by Joe Right. Jones.
2: Yes. Yeah. So check it out. We'll put a link in the notes to that. And stick around, listeners. We'll be back with our conversation in just a minute.
0: You're dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us.
1: Welcome back, listeners. We're at the C portion of our podcast, the conversation portion, which is always one of our favorite parts, right, Stace?
2: Yes, for sure.
1: We get some um, great individuals to talk to and learn about some of the unique roles that people play here in the Eastern Sierra. So today I'm super excited about our guest. Um, I'm a little biased. Again, I'm the <laughs> library director for Mono County. So I brought one of my colleagues with me today, our youth library programming manager, Carissa Devine. Hey, Car- Carissa, thank you for joining us.
3: Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me.
1: Um, So, yeah, one of the things I'm really excited about where the library is going with Carissa's help is um, working to expand our our programming efforts around young people. We do a lot of work with early literacy and pre-K prep and what have you and a number of programs for school age kids. But now we're really going to be able to expand on that and do some really wonderful stuff for Eastern Sierra Kids County. County wide, but before we get into all of that stuff, Carissa has you. You have a great backstory. Can you just kind of tell us where are you from, and you know what was the unique path that led you to the Eastern Sierra?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm originally from Pennsylvania. I grew up in a county called York, right next to Lancaster. Most people know it because it's where the largest population of Amish are in the US.
1: Oh, wow. Um, Did you see a lot like horses and buggies and stuff growing up?
3: Yeah. in the County next door, not, not so much in my home County, but right next door. So 20 minutes away. I mean, you have the road signs there with the warning you that there's a a buggy and horse (laughs) potentially just ahead of you. So you have to be careful. You take a fast corner. You got to be ready for that. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I, I did grow up seeing that. They they're fascinating. They play a lot in American. Play a big role in American history when it comes to um, pacifism and 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 the right to to your beliefs to sort of even homeschooling. Homeschooling's right. not yeah. permitted like in Germany. It's not allowed, but we are allowed to do that here because of the Amish. Actually, wow, wow, yeah. I know that. Yeah. So, anywho, Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> yeah, kind of grew up on the out, outskirts of the sprawling suburban world that is the East Coast. Um, and, uh, I had a rough time when I was in my teenage years, uh, when I was 15, my parents actually filed for bankruptcy and I was, I went to three different high schools in three years, a mix of moving because of foreclosure, losing the house. I also had some, you know, teenage questions going on in me at the time. Was tired of being the younger sister of so-and-so. Wanted a bit more independence. (laughs) Went went to a vocational school to study nursing, actually. Um, And then at some point in, in all of that, decided my real path was studying religion and philosophy. Wow. Um and I think I realized later when I analyzed that, I think it's because so much of the world around me was crumbling with, with my parents' bankruptcy and moving schools, it was like everything around me was was not what I want was not based on the solid ground I thought it was. Right. And and so mm-hmm. I think this this dove me into this sort of existential questioning for <laughs> where did my worldview come from? And I had grown up rather religious. So mm-hmm. So yeah, I decided to study religion and philosophy. And uh there was a, a big fork in my road, actually. I applied to UCSB and Berkeley, didn't get into Berkeley, got into UCSB, came to visit, totally enamored with the campus, understandably. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> but the out of state tuition was was just gonna cost gonna put me in way more student debt than I was already going. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so I went to a small private liberal arts college near Hershey, Pennsylvania, called Lebanon Valley College. And yeah, it ended up being a huge blessing. We had really small class sizes, no joke. I mean, as a religion and philosophy major, one of my philosophy classes had three students uh, oh. with my professor. So definitely no cut in class. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, it was like glorified book clubs with like books. I was really into. <laughs> it was great.
1: That's awesome. You Very would not
3: expensive.
1: That. You would not
3: what, a, that,
2: what a great college experience. That's amazing.
3: Yeah, it was beautiful. And my, um, my, Uh, two of my professors are actually still mentors for me today and they were huge. And that's probably why I like working with kids today. Um, They just really believed in me. And I, coming from a tumultuous background, um, feeling, feeling their faith in me really helped me believe in myself. And really it came down to, I was, I wanted to study abroad, had a conversation with this one mentor professor about, I wanted to study in India. I was really fascinated with Hinduism Mm -hmm. and uh, our College didn't have a program that went there. And he was just like, Carissa, you know, you can you can study anywhere you want to. Wow. And, and I was just like, you're right. I can. <laughs> and I went home. I was even house sitting for him and his wife that summer. And I looked into programs going to India, decided to withdraw for a semester and a semester and um, and Pondicherry university, which was set up through a nonprofit based in New York. Um, so yeah, I just made it all happen that way. So then I
1: went Pennsylvania to India.
3: Yeah. So I (laughs) went my junior, the spring of my junior year, I hooked up with a nonprofit based out of New York and studied in at Pondicherry university in Southeastern India. And then it was just super crazy coincidence because I had had an Indian religion and philosophy course. Um, and in it, we studied classic, uh, more medieval, and then contemporary philosophy. And the contemporary philosopher that we studied is called Sri Aurobindo. And he uh, lived from the late 19th century till the mid 20th century. And pure coincidence, it just so happened the university I went to study at was near like five kilometers away from a commune based on this thinker's philosophy.
0: Okay. Um,
3: so that just kind of was like, wow, here, I didn't even know there was a commune based on this thought. And so my study abroad experience took me near to this eco-village. It's the largest and longest lasting eco-village in the world. What's uh, an eco-village? So yeah. an eco-village is uh, a, a community that co- it's an intentional community. They come together generally with the aim to be ecologically self-sustaining. They have not reached their goal, but so when they started, the land that they took over was a barren wasteland, basically uh, left over from French and British colonialism. It used to be a a teak forest that had been decimated by, Mm. by that historical process, and so... It was the start of the commune. I mean, it it was in the era of hippies. It started in '68. It was <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of Western hippies from Europe, from the U.S. Um, as 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 well as Indians, and uh, they were given a pl- like a five kilometer uh, radius plot of land uh, and started growing their own forest. And today, that's what it is. They've they've revegetated this land with the in- initial goal of being. Um, self-sustaining and their food growing as well that hasn't been a complete success Um, nonetheless their intention is is for is is to be as ecologically sustainable as possible
2: so did you live on this in this commune while you were studying or did you live at the university
3: I lived at the university during this uh study abroad exchange but um as a, as a young American girl that was fully in the poker wave that came around at that time. I don't know if you guys recall when Texas Hold'em became really popular. <laughs> um, but I was in on that. And so in this commune, there was a group of, group of older men pl- started to play poker and I went to watch soccer one day. And so I was living at the university, but came into contact with, with many people in, in the commune. I was really fascinated by its history. And so started playing poker as poker on Thursday nights and <laughs> met more and more people and just became more fascinated by this sort of historical living moment. It was, it was a community, um, based on very, uh, rooted beliefs, and mm-hmm. so the the founders of this community started to become, in, in some ways, enshrined, really, and not quite fully deified, but hmm. on its way there. Um, and this really fascinated me as as a religion major. I, w- I wanted to see this story play out and right. get to know the people that were living it out. So so I ended up <coughs> living in the commune a year and a half later. That was my junior year that I studied abroad. I came back to finish up my senior year at the small private liberal arts college in Pennsylvania. And uh, shit, my professors had already talked to me about applying for, for a Fulbright. I just didn't really have a project, a cohesive project. They're just, it was right. blah. And then after being, after getting to know people in the commune, I was like, I, I know the project I want to do. I want to, I want to build something out of this. And that's what I did. And then I ended up getting the fellowship and that's when I went back to live in the commune for a year. That's awesome! Yeah, it was it was it was something.
2: <laughs> what a cultural shift that must have been. I mean, to go—had
3: you ever been abroad before you went to India? I d- I was. Uh, I had visited Holland a few times growing up. Mm-hmm. My my mother traveled the world through her um, through her husband's. Um, it's a joke in the family. <laughs> she- <laughs> <laughs> my biological father is American, but uh, then she. She married a, a man from the Netherlands when I was two. Uh, and they were together until I was about 15 when Carissa's world started to fall, fall apart as a teenager. Um, and then her, her third husband was Canadian. So anywho, while she was married to my stepdad from the Netherlands, I visited there at the age of 5, 12, and 16. I remember nice. I always told my students my first real moment of culture shock was French fries and mayonnaise. <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a life changer
1: <laughs> look if it's good
3: mayonnaise it is uh, delicious
2: no 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 that's wrong that's wrong On okay that's another show
1: yeah and we've had this conversation believe it or not Steve, <laughs> right, Carissa, so so but india didn't you didn't stop with india i right?
3: didn't well i was i i I mean, I was just out of college and had a lot of debt and on the other side of the world, so I thought I would try to take advantage of all of that. I asked the nice, friendly folks at the Fulbright uh, if I could extend my return flight so I could check out the old world for a little bit longer since I was already there, and they granted me that. So I traveled, a few, I traveled about three months in Southeast Asia, um, ran out of money, and found a job teaching English in Bangkok. Uh, But yeah, through that time, traveled through uh, Southern Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, Laos. And um, then I started teaching English outside of Bangkok for about eight months. And then I, during the time that I had traveled, fell in love uh, with a young man from Germany and uh, yeah, at that point, I, I knew I was going to finish teaching English, finish my contract in Bangkok, but didn't have definite plans after. Uh, we were in the middle of the recession back in the U.S. and a religion and philosophy major doesn't exactly always <laughs> have the most promising <laughs> job market in front of her. So I had fallen in love with German as an undergraduate uh, in philosophy. I had to read a lot of uh, more Modern German thinkers. And I, mm-hmm. I read a lot of translation notes. Mm. Um, and, <laughs> and so at that point, a lot of German thinkers were my faves. And I was like, hey, maybe there's something with this language that leads to this type of thought. So, between falling in love with the German and already loving the language, found the cheap one way ticket to, to Frankfurt and wanted to spend more time with this young man. And that turned into five and a half years. Wow. And that, so, I was in Dresden for those five and a half years in Germany. And then were you teaching English there or what were you, I taught social studies. I, um, I kind of, I was, as I was, I, I, Carried on a few jobs in the beginning to get my work visa. I had like three mm-hmm. part-time jobs. I juggled for a bit. One of those was working in the after-school program at the international school in Dresden, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I decided to pursue a graduate certificate in international education through George Mason University. Mm-hmm. And then I did like a year of student teaching there. And uh, then yeah, things sort of fell into place. Germany has very generous maternity leave. So one of my coworkers who was teaching middle school social studies was pregnant and I got to cover her classes for the year while also working in the library. So I got to do school librarian slash teacher gig for two years. Um, and then eventually a a opportunity opened up to oversee their extracurricular program for their juniors and seniors. Um, and I was really interested in that. I like, I I like community engagement. Um, Mm. and I like, I like, I like my me time a lot. I like indulging in hobbies, creative <laughs> hobbies, hobbies, active hobbies. And so that's what their extracurricular program was all about. It's called CAS, Creativity, Action, and Service. And so being yes. able to oversee a program like that that I really believed in was, was good fun. I did learn after. I, I really missed, because I was teaching and overseeing that program, which is great. Um, but yeah, I, sometimes I miss the one-on-one you got out of the library, that, that quiet one-on-one time with the kids (laughs) teaching you like hardly ever have enough time to finish everything that you want to finish it's hard to keep up with (laughs)
1: yeah sure wow So, so what brought you to the eastern sierra
3: so my sister um was seeing a guy out here and then she moved out here and got married i first visited when she just moved out here before they married um and then so I, I visited the the I visited Bishop that first time, which is down in Inyo County. Realized right away I liked the town. I'd always felt I, I left the U.S. when I was 21, and I knew there were likely communities that I could fall in love with. I just hadn't taken the time to explore. Mm-hmm. And I came to Bishop, and I think there was some nostalgia uh, from my time in India too. That sort of desert landscape. The, mm-hmm. the cattle everywhere, yeah. <laughs> the, the cattle grades, the mountains, the openness was really calling me. Um, and then, and, and, and then my mom became sick with lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And so the next year of my life was really heavy. Um, just, I mean, she passed within 15 months after her diagnosis. Oh, um, sorry. But, oh it, it's okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. I I, I gained a a lot from it though. And I'm, I'm really grateful I was able to be there for her. You know, th- there was a lot to be thankful for in, in that process. So um, yeah, in any case, she that it was just a lot for me to carry at that time. And I have a younger brother that's disabled and mm. she was always his primary caregiver. And so when she passed... Uh, he went into the group home system in Pennsylvania, was pretty unhappy there. And so my older sister wanted to move him out here to Bishop, thought he could have a better life, just a a higher sense of familiarity in a small town Mm -hmm. versus a small city, um, things like this. So I took six months away from work, uh, for family medical leave and helped him transition in, get um, in-home supportive care and stuff like that, set up, get all the bureaucratic matters taken care of. And in that time decided this was my, my next place in life. And it it was really good. I, I, I'm glad I had my twenties. I'm glad I traveled. Everyone says you want to do that while you're young. And I'm starting to understand that more now (laughs) because I'm too tired for that now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's lucky for us. I mean, one of the things, one of the things I love about your, your story, Carissa, is that, you know, it's an example for many other young people who may be too nervous to take those steps, especially people who are in a disadvantaged situation who feel like they aren't allowed to take those steps, you know, the, to be adventurous and to be courageous and just to have the grit to get it done, the to go to India and then travel Southeast Asia and then like, you know, instead of coming back to something familiar, go on to Germany and have, you know, and then end up in the Eastern Sierra, which is also an adventure for many people. I think that's, I think that really speaks to something.
3: Yeah. I think that's ultimately what, what drives me to continue working with kids is I, especially in my teenage years with my whole world collapsing around me and my parents filing for bankruptcy I, I went to college cause my older sister did. Um, she was really the first in my immediate family. Right. And so anything your big sister does naturally, mm. you're going to do too. <laughs> um, but I, I had a lot of fear as a young kid, a lot of, I mean, we all have fears of ending up like our parents. I know that by now, <laughs> but you know, I, I, uh, I, we were, we were pretty poor. And like when, when my family fell apart and the bankruptcy, like, we went back to living in a trailer, like just really didn't have a lot. And so I had a lot of fear of like working in a restaurant, being stuck in a town, not getting out. And that's all, all of that are great things. And that's been the beauty of my journey is when I first came to Bishop, that's what I did. I worked in the brewery for a few years and I was like, this was lovely. Like, it's so nice to have going on that journey and come back to be able to appreciate that. But as a young kid, I think the difference is when you feel stuck. Right. And that's that's mm-hmm. where all the fear comes from. Right. So once I realized, wow, I can navigate out and beyond that, um, it, it was, yeah, it was just like a huge world opener for me. And so like the fact that that gift was given to me by other people believing in me, if, if I can give that to one or two or three kids, that's, I'd feel good about life. Well, right? that's
2: what's so, ni- it's so nice to have you working with our young people you know, here in Mammoth, you know, we have so many of our kiddos here are, you know, they, they were born in Mexico. They've just come here. They're first generation. They don't know really, or have, have anybody to help them navigate what's out there, you know, and to have you working with them, you know, and I know you're a role model for a few of, of, our students over at the Jan community school, you've been such a positive influence on them. Um, you know, that we have you around to be that, that role model, that guide, that resource for our kids is fabulous.
3: We're really lucky. Paying it forward. It was good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Carissa, tell us a little bit about some of the work that you are engaging with at the library.
3: Yeah. Um, let's see, I guess we'll go, we'll do this chronologically. The renovation of the children's library, which is really exciting. Uh, seeing that come to life right now, one of the silver linings I suppose of the closure is <laughs> that we're able to get this done, um, without too much disturbance. So we're taking out some, some shelving, trying to open up the space and this this is the irony of it. It's promoting more interaction. So hopefully, eventually, we can get back to that space where interacting is, again, something we can do.
1: We um, will. <laughs> we will.
3: <laughs> so bringing in some, some more kid-friendly, stackable, soft furniture, some, some toys for them to play with, problem-solving, math-based, fun-based, some uh, manipulatives on the wall, bringing back some old school flannel board, which I think will pair nicely with makerspace just because yeah. we can create stories galore with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really about opening up that space to just invite some child led exploration and discovery and fun by having, having those different, um, engaging toys up on the wall, as well as that movable furniture for them to engage with other kids or their caregiver, uh, whether it's in conversation or reading or what have you.
1: All behaviors that, that are so important for that really young age, that kind of zero to five, zero to six age, right? And what, what I'm excited about is it'll create a space that multiple car- eventually, multiple <laughs> parents and families can bring their kids there and kind of have group meetups or, you know, kids can interact with each other and the parents can interact with each other because that's so important as well yeah. to kind of develop those bonds.
3: Absolutely. That chance to have social skills. I love watching little kids in that moment. It's been a real treat the last year, that incredible, incredible bashfulness in the beginning. And then the way you see them start to loosen up and they say really sweet things, which we all like to (laughs) mock. But to me, honestly, it's like poetry. (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, having having a chance for them to engage in that is really important foundations. We have, you know, the social emotional learning coming back out and what you just named is is really like that bedrock for the, mm-hmm. the basis of all of that right yeah and
1: cool. then the summer this summer
3: have- Go for it. Summer reading program? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know which one we were going on first. Summer reading program. (laughs) So
1: bossy. I'll let you take it. Sorry. (laughs) Oh
3: no, no worries. I did say I was going chronologically. Um, (laughs) summer reading program. So this is fun. I have to say, I I have enjoyed this very much with with getting to oversee youth programming, because that was one of my favorite parts of teaching was curriculum development. So a summer reading program has has let me dive into that in, in a loose fashion, which is great because... Uh, when you have the time to let kids choose what they want to do, that's, that's the most fun way to do it because that's when kids really enjoy most what they're learning. So summer reading program, especially given this year's unique circumstances, is set up around a lot of individual choices. Um, we're working with the, with the I Read theme of uh, read, investigate, discover, dig deeper, which I think is is really timely, especially in, in our era where we have this new tendency to scroll and flash through headlines. Right. Um, so the whole program is set up under these subtitles of read, investigate, and discover. Uh, read is obviously to do with books. Investigate is sometimes about looking at your own family history, sometimes looking at geology, sometimes looking at local history discover, uh, is mostly geared towards sometimes discovering about yourself, uh, maybe learning a new skill about something that you really like doing. Um, or maybe, uh, discovering, I I believe one of them on there is discovering how to hear a story in a different way. I'm, I'm all about continuously learning. And, and I think that's my biggest goal for these kids is really, um, giving them the opportunity to have these positive experiences with, with, a myriad of learning opportunities so that they, I mean, lifelong learning is ultimately our, our end goal here. Right. Um, so helping them tap into what's fun for them to learn because that's what we keep up with. Yeah. Um, totally. so, so yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And I know that this summer will still be different as we're all waiting to hear what, you know, guidelines will be like for social distancing, but still trying to, um, you know, even, even get, gain some new opportunities through what it's like to share virtually um, and, and so the
2: program that you just described is all virtual it's the, the kids log into the library website
3: and so um, mix? i have a bit i have a pamphlet example to show you here stacy okay so they will be able to sign up online so this is like the okay. k through 12 version okay so there's like a little introductory section. The rules are here on the left and that's your game board. Nice. Sorry that the viewers can't see it. Well, we
2: can post, can we post a link to that, this on Perfect. our website?
3: Okay. We'll Excellent. do that. So, um, yeah, then you open it up and you have your little game board and it has prompts oh, things to do. So anytime cool. that you would do one of those at those activities, you can cross it off. Okay. And every time Very you nice. do three new ones, you can go into the library and get your prize. Okay, and you have so you would have to do a total of nine different activities to be entered into the local branch's grand prize, which is a raffle. Um, nice. And each branch gets to determine what that is based on their participants. So cool. it's a bit of a mix. It can be done in person, but since we don't know what to expect for guidelines, yeah, if people are more comfortable sharing virtually. We want to give them the space and respect yeah. to do that. So, like one of one of the. Um, one of the prompts is like discover the wonders of waste, learn how to repurpose various waste products for arts and crafts. Need ideas? Check out the hashtag wonders of waste with makerspace posts on our dare to share blog. Oh, so our cool. website then has a blog of different ways Got to participate it. virtually um, linking up to other programs such as makerspace or one. I, I tried, I incorporated StoryCore, just released a new virtual platform called connect mm-hmm. um, so that you can participate in interviewing family members and uh i'm that's something i'm really grateful for i've i've been really curious about my family history it's just a f- fascinating thing for me and so i i hope kids maybe take advantage of something like that something they wouldn't normally do but i read on my tea bag the other day it was a great quote the most, the most supreme human emotion is boredom. Uh, and we do great things when we're bored. So wow. I'm hoping that the kids will, you know, so is, there, is, is this,
2: is this geared? I love that quote. Is this geared toward a particular age group or what is where, what age group are we shooting for? So here? we've got a, a pre-K program
3: uh-huh. for zero to five. Um, and then we have a K through 12 program. Great. Uh, I, I imagine, I don't know how many teenagers I'm going to get with it. If, if they go for it, I'll be stoked. Um, absolutely. But I think, I feel like teens make me work a little bit harder and get a little bit more creative. So I'm, I'm hoping that they'll take me up on it, but, um, we'll see. I know that there, I, I, you just, you have to be so cool to to get along with them, you know?
1: <laughs> so this is what I love about this. This is like a single cohesive program from like Benton to Colville to Mammoth. It's all corners of the county. These kids will be able to participate in this. Yeah. And it's kind of self-paced and self-directed in a way. Um, and it has some of the traditional elements of summer reading, you know, that you can get a bookmark and track your reading progress, or there are these kind of discovery activities that kids can embark on and learn a little bit about how to use the library, a little bit more Mm -hmm. around, you know, a particular topic. Um, I think it's really going to be fun and I'm looking forward to it. And we should say, Carissa, you know, this, Podcast airs end of May, so people can register now from the library website, right?
3: Yeah, they can register now. the The website's launched. They basically just have to email me with their name, um, the age of the participant, the grade they're entering into, and and what their local branch is, and I can email them their their game board, uh, bookmark, reading log, if they need to keep track of their minutes to mark off when they got when they've reached an hour. Um, but yeah, they can. They, they can do it now ready to, we're ready to That's roll awesome go and, to uh,
1: monocolibraries.org and choose program and you'll see stories uh summer reading program 2020 right there that gets correct. you there awesome. we'll, we'll,
2: put, we'll put that link in our
3: show notes too excellent
1: so real quick can you give us a taste of things to come because there's something exciting on the horizon
3: there is um i think this is probably one of the most exciting aspects of of working in a a position like mine, it makes me feel really grateful. Uh, We've recently, actually that email just came yesterday. I was most excited to see it. (laughs) We recently got word that we're getting uh, some grant monies from the state. The setup for the grant monies were for out of school programming, early literacy or mobile library. And we decided based on, our current circumstances, our gap, as you mentioned, was really working with some older kids and, and building that relationship. Um, and I've seen that lack here too in the last nine months that I've been here. So we decided to put our heads in on that one and developed a project for a countywide program meant to target teenagers called the Evolution of Storytelling Project. I should add part of the requirement of the grant project was that it had a social and emotional learning component. And so um, it seemed to me that storytelling lent itself very naturally to this. Actually, as I was chatting with Sarah, who I believe you have both chatted with recently.
1: Right. Sarah Sugar, mm our last
3: guest. Correct. She is a school counselor. And as this came up in conversation with her, and she was telling me that narrative therapy is an actual line of therapy in the counseling world. I didn't know that. Mm. Um, so in any case, the Evolution of Storytelling Project is set up to be a curriculum framework for the, for the county of libraries uh, that walks students through the evolution of humans telling stories. Um, that's, that's what we do, really. We're junkies. Yeah. I mean, it went. <laughs> it, it went from cave painting, or cave paintings, to telling around the fire to um or vice versa for those to writing i mean look at all of the resources we put into writing since the the printing press and of course we're we're at a really fascinating time because now we've gone digital right our whole world the shift shifts around these mediums so i want i i'm hoping that the teens can help to recognize this and by offering the the evolutionary perspective that they can maybe start to understand its significance and its historical context um as well as perhaps find a medium that they like. We don't like all the different... I'm I'm not a good drawer. I really wish I was. I've tried a bunch (laughs) of times. But words are more of my medium. I like to converse too. It's a little bit more nerve-wracking. It's a little bit more performance feely for me. But the project will walk them through oral storytelling for two months, then illustrated. We'll have two sections of written. One personal anecdotal, the second sort of societal talking about an issue. And the final chapter will be digital storytelling. And that will get us ready for a summer storytelling project uh, for which they can submit a story in any medium that they choose.
1: For the following summer. That is awesome. Yeah. What I also love about this, and I'm sorry, I keep interjecting because it's just so exciting, is that you've developed some relationships with some of the people who've been on the podcast already. So Kristen Reese of Mono Arts Council, Behavioral Health, we had Sophia Flores on. There are other county groups who are going to help pull this off, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So the Mono County Behavioral Health, uh, Sophia will be working with us. I'm really excited about that. She already has pretty good relationship with with a few of the Teen, so that's an awesome starting point. And from what I hear, she's got a bit of a background in spoken word and some hip hop herself. So she'll, <laughs> she's going to be what I have termed my medium master. So each of these sections will be traveling around to each of the seven branches and teaching a workshop, um, which will be complemented by some passive programming to get the kids excited about that particular medium. So Sophia will be my medium master for the oral stories um, illustrated stories. I'll be working with Lori, our makerspace, makerspace coordinator. And then we are working together with the Mono Council for the Arts to tap into their teaching artist pool um, to to support some of the other mediums. For instance, uh, Daria will be our medium master for the digital storytelling. She does both animation and stop motion.
1: So, so this is this is wonderful. This is like a community coming together to really kind of make something happen and i love love it when that happens.
3: Yeah, i'm really excited for it. I um i had made a weekly re- reg- regular trip down to the high school when i started trying to get more student input for this project and while i had the idea for the storytelling aspect their input really help shape the narrative for why this is important. Um, and, and that's why it's important to leave so many options open too, because you want to reach as many kids as, as you can. So having a a variety of, of different mediums is essential for that. But from a lot of the kids, I, yeah, there's, there's a big sense of disconnect and isolation when kids move here from other places. They, they are, um, they pick up on that very quickly. There's being in a small rural place, you don't have the same opportunity to be in, uh, involved in the same amount of clubs or groups and build relationships. And, and right. that's what we need for that social, emotional healthiness is you need to be talking about what's going on inside, how you're feeling, what your aims are, all of this and getting that feedback from another human. That's, I mean, I think we all know after two months of quarantine, how essential those connections are now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that they realize through this, like, Hey, this is a chance for us to tell our story because it right. is important mm-hmm. and meaningful. And, uh, yeah, I think it'll be a, a really awesome platform for them to be able to start sharing what's going on in their minds. I think teens are marginalized a lot in that way. They don't yet have their private space. Yeah, um, They don't always see the meaning in the work that they're doing. They're off, you know, they're, I mean, it's a societal issue, but they're, they're not always treated with the, with the respect of like, you do understand how the world works. Sometimes they, yeah. they're, they're. I don't know. <laughs> I, I get where they're coming from. They feel, I think, you know, belittled a lot or like they don't quite get life. And so right. giving them a platform to tell what they do know, I think will be, will be a game changer for them. So I'm excited. So awesome. exciting.
2: That's great. So Chris, is something we always ask our guests and we really appreciate your time talking with us today and hearing about all the amazing things that you're doing. But what are you reading now?
3: So just finished. Uh, the NeverEnding Story by Michael Enda in German. I I had started that last year. I got through 250 pages, went to Germany for five weeks and was so sick of German. I, I <laughs> let it go for like half a year. But since quarantine came back up... Um, one of the prompts in our online uh, journeys and journals prompts actually asked me if I could dive into a story and like live in it, what would it be? And I knew in a moment it was a never ending story. So it prompted me to pick it back up. And I did. Absolutely beautiful. I just finished that. And now I decided to step away uh, from fantasy, go a little bit more, I don't know, cyberpunk. I'm reading Margaret (laughs) Atwood, The Handmaiden's Tale. Finally, I haven't read it. (laughs) <laughs> and how are you, how are you finding that so far? I'm just a few pages in. I have the, um, I have to say the narrative aspect doesn't quite capture me the same way that um, Michael Enda's Never End is. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not enraptured yet, yep. but it, it, I'm, I'm intrigued. There's definitely some, <laughs> some lines that le- let me, uh, lead me to the question of like, wait, what's going on here? What happened here? <laughs> and I've heard the ending is stellar. So it's, it's a little bit more of a bait and catch sort of um, book for me so far, rather than a complete envelopment in fantasy or anything of that sort.
2: Well, I'll, I'll be anxious to hear when you finish it, what you thought. And, and I'd encourage you to read the sequel, which I, is yeah. a newer, which is, was
3: I thought was fabulous. Well, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to it. I thought it's
2: time. It's time. And they might even, they might've even translated it into German if you want to go that, that route. (laughs) My
3: reading level in German is middle school. (laughs) Which I have to say, I think uh, I'm, it's let me read some really beautiful books. I, I love, I love authors that can take big concepts and break it into, break it down into simple language. Uh, it's, it's just, I don't, I'm, I'm so impressed by that feat. So I don't know that I'll be able to read Atwood in German. I've, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm at about a sixth or seventh grade reading level. <laughs> I just thought it well, was ironic
1: when you said that, because I, I think of German as a language with never ending words. So like, yeah. you know, I just thought it was kudos to you to reading a, a full story in another language. It's not easy.
2: Yeah. Speak it i time. i have i have i have scary memories of my grandparents yelling at each other and me in German really as a young child and to be yelled at in german is is a very scary intimidating <laughs> it, it it will put you in
3: your place yeah i some of my friends joke that um German i mean dogs only understand German because <laughs> it's, it's so forceful and to the point that and i I, I will testify. German dogs are so well-behaved. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's like from their culture and that they're pretty strict <laughs> with their training regimen, but you could be running there dogs without a leash and you just run by. They don't even take a second look at you.
1: <laughs> I love that. That's hilarious.
3: Well,
2: I'll, I think when, when we get our next dog, I'll have to think about learning to train it in, in German. That might have to there be a you strategy. Go. <laughs> but Carissa, it's been so great having you join us. Thank you so well, much. Thanks so much for the conversation, guys. This was great. It was, it was awesome. To, yeah. And thanks for all you're doing for all of our kids here in Mono County. We really oh, appreciate
3: it. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad you guys brought a, a youth librarian on. Um, it's, <laughs> it's too. really, it's my, it's like, My dream job so thank you for helping me continue to realize uh all the good things in life this is awesome (laughs) well you're most welcome and we
2: appreciate you very much and we appreciate you listeners thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the oxygen star podcast Please remember, if you enjoyed the podcast, to subscribe, uh, give us a rating and a review. That really helps our visibility, and we'd really appreciate that. You can find us on Instagram at O2Starved. You can find us on our website page, OxygenStarvedPodcast.com, and our Facebook page also. So thanks very much. Have a great day. Keep breathing, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Starved. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McCloud in Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.